Oh, what are you worried about? Look, it's just a school. There's the lockers, there's a class. And a kid in his underwear. <laughs> they took my clothes. Who? The seniors. Seniors took my clothes. Why? Just because I'm a new guy. Well, I'm a new guy. Well, good luck to you. I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Ow! be a fuddy-duddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'm never getting to Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to The Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And today, we've got a good one. What are we talking about, Amy? This week, we're going back to school. We're talking about the first day of school episodes. Yeah, uh, lots of different ages matriculating here, but these are all shows that at least claim to be or purport to be about uh, kids starting high school. So we're going to see lots of stories about anxiety and having to reshape one's image. So Amy, what are your memories of your first day of high school? Were you nervous? Did you feel the need to reinvent yourself? What was going on there? I don't specifically remember my first day of high school, but I loved school like there's a reason I'm a teacher first days of school for me were usually all about like finding the best new outfit and not sleeping at all the night before because I was so excited and like especially with high school because I felt like I was going to be in all these really like challenging smart classes the teachers were going to be so tough finally because that's what everyone was telling you that it was going to be so hard and I was like yeah I can't wait for my hard classes where I'm really going to finally learn something (laughs) so you had giddy excitement you were not so much nervous that you're not going to fit in or anything no yeah I remember my big sort of reinvention I think happened before sixth grade I can remember I don't know if it was going through puberty or whatever, but I remember at that time getting really into like, no more sweatpants and smelly t-shirts. I'm going to be wearing (laughs) stonewashed jeans. I'm going to put hairspray in my hair. I started really paying attention to that stuff and just, you know, having been a total ragamuffin my whole childhood, the pendulum just swung so far in the opposite direction. And I remember uh, getting really into the primping and, and stuff like that. High school, yeah, starting high school wasn't as big a deal. And I think I'm going to make this comment as we get into the show is the reason for that is that we were with the same people that we were with in middle school and grade school for the most part. So this whole thing of like, oh no, what is it going to be like? Like there were some elements of that for sure. It was a different setting, but I do remember feeling like, well, you know, my friends, Dennis and Ellis are still going to be there. Like it's this sense of like, oh, I'm just going to be tossed to the wolves like that. I, I don't remember having that. Oh, that's interesting. So I had a very similar experience to Marsha Brady, where in my middle school, there was a group of us girls that were really tight, four of us in particular that were best friends. Well, 
we were all zoned for different high schools. So only two of us went to my high school and the other two girls went to two different high schools. So my middle school ended up getting split up. And so in my friend group, we went to three different high schools. And so yeah, that was very different because we were going to be kind of moving all over. I guess I, I probably had that sort of feeling like, oh, my friends are going somewhere else, but I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> yeah, guess. that redistricting thing is the premise of at least one Bring It On movie. Okay, so what's our lineup? What are the shows we're talking about today? Today, we're talking about The Brady Bunch, Season 4, Episode 4, Today I Am a Freshman. Just the Ten of Us, Season 1, Episode 2, First Day at School. Boy Meets World, Season 2, Episode 1, Back to School. And finally, The Goldbergs, Season 4, Episode 1, Breakfast Club. Yep, so we're back with the Brady Bunch. When we last talked about them, it was for the school play episode, and we were talking about one of the Later season ones, we were talking about how Cindy was getting a little too big for the little girl clothes and everybody was looking a little worse for the wear. This is an older one. And so everyone's nice, fresh faced. You know, the little kids are still little and even the older kids are still younger than I I kind of remember them. So we begin this with uh, this is going to be a recurring theme Somebody gets sick, right? Quote unquote sick the morning before first day of school, right? Marsha right. is stressed out. Marsha is in bed with the covers pulled up to her neck and she is saying she can't go to school. She just doesn't feel well. And Carol Brady is like, oh, well, if you're not feeling well, we have to call the doctor. And Marsha's like, oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm sure I'll feel better tomorrow. And, uh, you know, of course, so the doctor comes and he's like, she's nervous. That's well, what he explains, kids always have on the first day of school. There's an epidemic of new schoolitis is, is the way he describes it. Right. So when she has to confront her anxieties and, and sort of talk about what's really bothering her. What she says is, <laughs> all my best years are behind me. That's right. right. Now, I totally relate to anxiety about the first day of school, but all my best years are behind me. If this doesn't sound like a line written by a 57-year-old sitcom <laughs> writer for this 14-year-old girl... Then I don't know. I mean, it's just I can't imagine that is a thought that goes through the mind of, you know, a kid this age. Well, a dramatic middle schooler. And I know many of them. Uh, I think that there is something to that, right? Like Marsha's whole thing is that in middle school, she knew who she was. She was popular. And many of her friends are and her best friends aren't going to this high school so she you know she is so upset and is telling carol and mike her parents that just because of this street we stupid street we live on i have to go to whatever school and they're all going over there and you know my first thought is well it can't be that big of a deal you've got the older brother you know yeah and so her way of dealing with all of this is so sitcommy. it's just always like Big swings, broad strokes, right? So first she decides she wants to be more sophisticated, right? Again, 
to me, this is not really in step with my experience of high school that like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be popular unless I'm fancy and sophisticated, right? Like maybe things have changed since the 70s, but her whole approach is just so like hilariously misguided to me. She's looking in the mirror. She's trying on different hairdos, right? Trying to find a sophisticated hairdo, right? right? Putting it up and stuff going, is this sophisticated? And then she does the thing. It's it's our new favorite trope that we're tracking through all these episodes, calling the person by the fancier version of their <laughs> name in order to make yourself sound sophisticated. I'll be right there, Gregory. Exactly. She goes, coming, Gregory. I'll be right there, Gregory. Uh, yeah, so she's all about trying to be sophisticated. Sure. And I think, again, this has to do with when you're in middle school, the coolest kids in school are the eighth graders, right? They're the big dogs on campus. Then they're the oldest ones. So you are the most mature. Well, guess what? You're reset to zero in ninth grade because it doesn't matter what you do. There's no way that 14, 15 year olds are going to be able to compete on the sophistication level as an 18 year old, which, you know, Okay, we know that's very silly coming at it as, you know, 40-year-olds. But that is how kids see it. And I work at a school where we're K-12. And even moving from one half of the fourth floor, which is where our eighth graders are, to the other half of the fourth floor and some of the fifth floor, which is where our high schoolers are and ninth graders are, they're, like, they still have that same worry, you know? Yeah, but, you know, it, it's just so funny. And, of course, this is played out in the reactions of her peers oh, when she right. adopts this new so personality. she's so overboard. She just doesn't, it, she's just mixing up the sophistication. Like, yes, of course, like you're saying, the older kids are going to be more mature and behave differently but they're not like when Fred Flintstone becomes Frederick. They're not fancy and hoity-toity. They're still teenagers. So, of course, it comes across as very silly when she shows up, you know, hanging out outside the high school going, Hello, boys. You know, what what activities shall we pursue on this morrow? Or whatever it is that she's saying. You know? So I'm very much looking forward to the intellectual stimulation of high school. I can't wait till my first class. Yeah, so she doesn't go to school on the first day because she's got new schoolitis. And then during that day, Mike, Dad Brady, says to Greg, hey, you know, would you mind showing her around? And I think your incredulity at her understanding of what type of sophistication she's going to encounter is absolutely warranted because she knows her brother. Yeah, Right? Like, she knows what sophistication of high school looks like. She lives with a guy who's in high school. There's no reason she should think that they're, you know, the people that she's going to hang out with are any, you know, greater than his level of maturity. But she has it in her head that they do. And so Greg is like, of course, you know, I'd be happy to kind of introduce her around and help her feel more comfortable. I was already planning on doing it. Yeah. And so he does, and she acts like an asshole, basically. Yeah. No, just everything she says is inexplicable. I also thought that conversation the night before between the dad and Greg was very funny. Just the way that they phrase things. The dad is telling him, you know, she's she's nervous. You're going to have to help her. Greg says, she'll be all right. She's a cool chick. And the dad goes, 
I agree. (laughs) They're just so strange. It's so dated. But yeah, she does this whole fancy thing. It doesn't work out. She switches up her approach and she does like Danny Zuko in Greece. She decides to join everything, right? Right. She goes, she, she looks, the most popular things in her school are karate and scuba, Right. This, right. So she's bizarre... she's standing in front of this like sign up board for all the clubs. Right. So she comes home after the first day. She's completely distraught because she has totally messed it up by acting like this fancy person. And Greg comes home right behind her and slams the door and throws his books down and just like, you know, so like, I can't believe that she did this. She totally embarrassed me. Now I have to hide my head because she acted like a jerk. And says this to his dad, thinking Marsha has gone up into her room. And then Marsha comes back to the top of the stairs, hears, overhears this. And she was like, of course you told him he had to introduce me around. Why would anyone think you all thought I was going to fail? Why would anyone think I was going to be good at high school? And like, you know, dramatically goes away and cries in the bathroom and is staring in the mirror like you're such a loser or whatever. And then her... Parents come in and they're like, hey, okay, what happened? And she tells them how embarrassed she is about like, I very much am looking forward to the intellectual stimulation. And the mom's like, did you really say that? And she hangs her head and she's like, yeah, I did. You know, and so the advice they give her is join. You know what? Just be yourself. Join some clubs. It'll be great. So the next day she's standing in front of the sign-up sheets for all these different clubs And there's this random girl there who's like, well, the most popular clubs are karate and scuba. And she's like, oh, I was going to sign up for ceramics. And she's like, that one's not very popular. So she decides to sign up for every single club just to try to like be a part of everything. Yeah, she's a dilettante. She's, you know, got her, her fingers in lots of pies. So we get to see her doing crazy karate moves and stuff. I was wondering if this was like during the time that Bruce Lee was really taking off because it just seemed so strange to me that karate would have such a a place in this culture. But yeah, she's doing all this different stuff and then what she kind of lands on is the boosters. The boosters. Well, so what we haven't talked about, so the boosters is like a pep squad, right? They're uh, yeah, not I was gonna say the whatever. cheerleaders, but they're like, they're athletic supporters by way of like a sorority. I thought, yes, I thought it was more like a sorority. Like it was just, you know, I guess in the old days you had these social clubs and that's, you know, it was like, the high school version of a college sorority or even like some sort of adult social club type thing, whatever it is. Yeah, their uh, whole role is to raise money for the athletes, right? For the athletic clubs. That's why they're boosted. Right. And so, and and just like school spirit, which what we had at our school and I think what my mom had in her day too was called the pep squad. So you weren't cheerleaders, but you were like you, you were doing things that sometimes cheerleaders do, but you just weren't cheering at the game. So you were all about like school spirit, raising money for the athletic teams. Yay. Yay. And they have, they're like a sorority. They have some very specific rules, but so what we've haven't talked about in this episode yet is the B plot. So the B plot is Peter, the middle Brady son, 
is so excited and he's telling everyone who's coming home on their first day of school about his great project that he gets to do this year, which is he's building a volcano like that's going to actually work and he's going to wire it so that, and he says this like eight times and nobody cares that little puffs of smoke are going to come out and then it's going to spray lava all over, right? So he tells everybody in succession as they come home from their first day of school and everyone's like, well, you better not get any of that lava on the patio because Alice will kill you and they just walk on by and then Bobby and Cindy come by and they actually care and they're like oh that sounds like fun how can we help so now he's got these helpers and they're building the volcano out of like chicken wire and there's a tube in the center and then then they're packing all around with like mud and then they've got some like ceramic kind of putty like lava mud that's going to stay liquid down in it and that's what's going to come out so they're making a mess they've got you know mud everywhere and then in the next scene it's kind of all cleaned up and it's just sort of sitting there ready and Peter tries to make it go and everyone's counting down and now Jan's interested so she's there and it doesn't work And so it's like a big dud and everyone's like, oh, well, that's a bummer. And then it's just left. Yeah. And you can kind of see where this is going to go. All right. It's Uh, Chekhov's gun. Yeah. So Marsha hosts the next meeting of the boosters. So we're going to have the booster club come over to the Brady house. I did notice that there looked like one person of color in the boosters. Otherwise, I was going to say this is basically the white supremacy club because their (laughs) whole purpose, really, we're talking about, are they cheerleaders? Are they a sorority? Their whole purpose is to represent, you know, a group of people with a stick up their ass that are very exclusive and are going to be sort of judgmental and, you know, be be that sort of in crowd that you think you want to fit in with. Sure. So the girl who's in charge of the boosters is they're all sitting there and Marsha's standing and she, you know, is thanking them for coming and saying how she's so excited to potentially join them and, you know, happy to be considered and whatever. And then the like girl who's the head of the boosters or whatever is like, well, we're very happy to welcome you as well. And we've taken a vote and decided that you, you know, you are going to be a new booster. And there's some rules now that you've joined us that you need to know. And, you know, she's saying like, there's just, you have to, you have to get all of your clothes approved through us because we always have to present a certain image and you have to dress a certain way. I mean, as she's going down the laundry list, it it is things that it's just like a sorority. Like if yeah. you're going to be in this organization, everything you do and say represents us. So here's the, like, your moral code and the rules you have to live by while, you know, if you want to call yourself a booster or a whatever sorority. And so she's kind of going down that list. And as that happens, Peter comes back out and is trying to retest over to the side, trying to, like, retest his volcano and it's not going and it's not going. And Marsha's like, hey, what are you doing? And the boosters are like, shouldn't we go somewhere where we're not going to be interrupted by these juveniles? And she's like, oh, it's just my brother. He's fine. He And he's like, yeah, yeah, I won't be any bother. I won't be any bother. And then it's the volcano starts to work. Yeah. Uh, the volcano goes everywhere. The boosters are covered with the, the lava and everything. It makes a big Mud. mess. They're a mess. Yeah. The funny thing to me was just how Marsha 
never really bought into this booster mentality that comprehensively. And it's it's such a short walk for her to come back. Like, I was expecting there to be a beat of Marsha being like, oh my god, you've embarrassed me, you've ruined my pledge to the boosters. But she immediately is just like, this is hilarious. Look, all the boosters are covered with your freaking baking soda stuff or whatever the hell yeah, this is. Yeah, it's not even baking soda. It's full on mud. And they're, well, so that's the thing. Like, it's raining down on them. And you do for a second, you get Marsha like, Peter, oh my gosh. And then and then she just starts laughing because he, he looks so surprised. He was like, oh, it's working, it's working. And the other girls are like screaming and by the way, not running out of the spray, like standing in the spray. Like you could run inside, you could do whatever. No, no, no. They're standing in the spray, just like screaming and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's happening with all this like mud raining down on them. And Marsha just starts cracking up at the situation, which what else can you do? And the like main booster girl is like, how can you laugh at this? This is so juvenile. And she's just like, are you kidding me? This is hilarious. Like, this is so funny. And she's like, well, I don't think you're booster material. And she's like, I know I'm not booster material. If you don't think this is funny, you know, so. Yeah. Back to the karate club, maybe. Uh, this well, is no, a- she says, I'm going to stick with the club that I wanted to be in in the first place, ceramics. And she drops all the other ones. So, yeah, I mean, super straightforward, you know, you've got basically, you know, a a PSA telling you, hey, kids, don't be nervous about your first day of school. Uh, Just be yourself, especially if you're the hottest blonde girl around. Exactly. Be yourself. You don't need to, you know, reinvent yourself. You don't need to join any clubs. You know, it's, it's super straightforward and it sort of lays the groundwork, I think, for the sort of template that we're going to see repeated in the other shows. All right, let's move on to Just the Ten of Us. Just the Ten of Us, Season 1, Episode 2. So what's your experience with this show? I had an awareness of this as a kid. I knew that Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street was in this show, but I didn't really watch it. For one thing, it was all girls. You know, it was a show all about teenage girls and even though that was a big selling point of Charles in charge for some reason with this one uh yeah this show about the gym teacher and his daughters uh it it just was never a big thing for me were you a big growing pains fan not particularly I mean I could take it or leave it well and so that's probably it right so this is original TGIF lineup this is a growing pains spinoff it was this Uh, Full House, Perfect Strangers, and Mr. Belvedere. This was like an original TGIF uh, show, but it was a spinoff of Growing Pains. So the gym teacher in Growing Pains, Mike Seaver tries to save his job because he's going to get cut due to budget cuts, and he's not able to save his job, but we find out that there's this offer for him and his whole family in Eureka, California. So what did this guy do as a gym teacher that made him so beloved? You mean, was he like a beloved character? Yeah, no, he, he was like a stand-up comic. And so it was just another one of these like, okay, let's see if we can build a show around this guy. Let's bring him on for a few episodes on Growing Pains, give him a good story arc, and that'll spin off. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'm struggling to understand is what is the hook here? You know, this this 
gym teacher guy like he's he seems nice enough but it just wasn't clear to me <laughs> what about this character would have been you know this isn't like young sheldon or something where it's no, like but oh, this is before we had beloved characters spinning off into things remember we'd have characters show up for one episode in their backdoor pilots but i guess that's what i'm saying is that i I see it with Laverne and Shirley. I see it with Mork from Ork. But I don't know. I didn't see these original Growing Pains episodes. So I'm just trying to figure, like, to me, this this gym teacher guy, I don't see what puts him in that same pantheon. As It was more that, so, I mean, I think the crux of that episode on Growing Pains is that he has this huge family that he's trying to provide for. So in the same vein of Brady Bunch and Eight is Enough, just the ten of right. us. Right. So, okay, let's talk about that part, too, because I'm also a little skeptical here. We've got two parents. Yep. I did not track eight kids. There are eight kids in this family? Well, so there's seven, and she's pregnant with the eighth. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> to me, it seemed like five tops. Like, oh, I was a good just Catholic not family. So you've got four sisters that are supposed to be 16, 15-year-old twins, and 14. Yeah, they're each a few years older, I think, uh, than they're The 14-year-old is 24-25 in the first season, playing 14. She's the oldest of all the kids, but she's playing the middle daughter at 14 years old, which reads right away. Like, I remember watching this way back in the day, being like, that girl is really old for 14 and she is also the like acerbic kind of smart ass sister who's always making fun of the two older sisters who are a little bit more like boy crazy and ditzy but it's weird because she herself this this middle sister connie is also boy crazy but is like mad that her older sisters are like boy crazy and successful at it when you've got a family of 10 you're gonna have to double up on your personality traits are you saying that we're all so singular no i'm just saying that sometimes you're not gonna be able to have only one of them be flirty (laughs) you know when you've got eight daughters yeah Um, okay and so then so then uh, you like i said you've got the four older sisters then you've got jr then you've got the younger crew right so the younger daughter she's got glasses she's kind of nerdy very funny but she does seem like a child with special needs and then they have another toddler age kind of um boy who's played by twins that we don't really see much of the young kids even jr kind of like falls off as the series goes on and it only lasted for 47 episodes so it's it's called three seasons but that's just because the first season was like a four four or five episode like mid-season replacement yeah i mean look not to get bogged down in the numbers of all this but you're talking about just the 10 of us there's 22 minutes in a sitcom, so, like, what, every person gets, like, on average a minute and 45 seconds or something to, <laughs> right. to shine in the show? Like right, it's, no, it's and that's why. Much. That's too many. So, so, yeah, so this is all about the kids and their first day, particularly the four girls, the four teenage girls, who are going to an all-boys high school. They got a special permission to go to the all-boys high school because their dad got hired there as a coach and they moved him from across the country to do so. Right. This cannot be something that 
happens, I would I would think. Like, it just, you know, when we get to that part of the show, which comes a little bit later, where they're sort of integrating into this world, the note I wrote down is that these girls seem unsafe. This does not seem <laughs> like a situation they should be in. And of course, they're they're loving it because it's a sitcom. And so why not? Ha ha, we're surrounded by boys and they're all leering at us. Isn't that they're great? They're clamoring for their attention, but for sure. But lots of the personnel, right? Lots of the employees of a school have children that are various genders i can't imagine there are these religious schools or single gender schools where they go okay it's all boys or it's all girls unless oh oh one of the teachers has has children of the other gender well nobody said that all right i guess we have to let them in yeah like you know that it's an exception that doesn't make sense well and also that this gym teacher is such a good gym teacher that they're gonna have to hire him from across the country move his entire family and give them all tuition-free private school education at our institution where we only serve boys but you have mostly girls. Yeah. So season one is just four episodes and like I said it was this mid-season April replacement for something. They were just kind of trying it out to see if it was going to go like they do with a lot of these backdoor pilot kind of shows and it did. It did really well and so they were like alright that's it we're moving it to TGIF. It's going to be part of that inaugural TGIF lineup and it did pretty well but it wasn't a um, who are the guys that did all the other like Perfect Strangers, Family Miller Matters, Boyette. Miller Boyette. So it wasn't a Miller Boyette show, and it was the only one in that little lineup that wasn't. Those Miller Boyette boys—they just run you out of town. So ABC had a deal with them, and that they could do that, and they wanted this show aired in the nine thirty to ten o'clock spot, and they wanted a more adult lead-in for their twenty twenty, which was what com- came on at ten o'clock, right? So. Miller Boyette, they create a show called Going Places. Huh. Do you remember that show? No. Heather Locklear and somebody else, and it was horrible. It lasted barely a season. But it was grown-ups. It was yeah, it was grown-ups. It lasted barely a season and it was gone. And ABC was like, Yeah, our bad. We shouldn't have gotten rid of just the ten of us, but it was too late. The girls had all moved on to uh well, three out of the 10 of them or whatever were in Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So it was too late. And that's how we got Step by Step, which was another Miller Boyette. Yeah, well, that may have been for the best because, look, I, I don't want to insult all of the 10 heads out there, but I, <laughs> I don't think this is the greatest show. So let, let's get into the episode. Like you said, it's season one, episode two. So this is still establishing the world. The Girls are reporting to their first day of high school, as is the dad. So this is just as much about the dad, this coach guy, having his first day as a gym teacher at this school, as it is all the kids. Right. So they're having, everybody's a little bit nervous. I mean, well. We get another fake sickness. The girls, the twin girls are not so nervous. They're just excited to be around the boys The other two girls, like the older one and the younger one, who's the 24-year-old playing 14, they have, you know, a little bit of nerves, but mostly it's just like, okay, they're ready to go. And then the dad is kind of nervous. Yeah, everyone is going to this same school, you know, and they're all having their first day. Uh, I noticed there's like a little bit of a low-budget 
feel to this where there's a lot of scenes of characters addressing unseen people or groups. So all of the girls have these like sort of interview scenes, like these first person interview scenes where it's almost like something out of the office where they're sitting down and addressing the camera. And I guess it's supposed to be like they're talking to like a guidance counselor or or something like that. But it's like, whatever it is, it's in reality, just one person sitting there talking to the camera. And then they give you the montage of the dad's day at school and sort of trying out he's trying to teach all these different classes and again it's obviously just him by himself like kind of in front of a blank wall and you're getting the impression that it's not going well for him and he's sort of striking out but there's no students or anything like you just kind of got the sense that this is all sort of you know slapped together like in an afternoon. And they're, yeah, they're that not... they're like telling a story. Gosh, I didn't, you know what? It's so interesting. I was having such a sort of visceral, like memory, nostalgia reaction to watching this show again. I forgot how much I liked this show. I remember when it was canceled. I remembered really liking it. It. I wasn't like you. I didn't watch a ton of shows about kids. So this one was kind of fun for me. And yeah. And so I don't even remember what you're talking about so much. I didn't even clock how different it was because I was just so obsessed with like, whoa, yeah. Whatever happened to that redhead girl? I really like that redhead girl. Oh my gosh, that's right. That one sister, she always was so like cranky with the other sisters, but she's very clearly older than them, even though she's playing young. And like, I just was having all of these thoughts in my head. It didn't even track that. That's so funny but so uh like you said even though the girls have a lot going on in terms of them sort of rejoicing and all the attention that they're getting from the boys the plot sort of shifts to the younger boy right because he's trying to fit in with his friends you know these other boys these middle school aged boys and this was something that i found alarming and offensive but the kid decides that he needs to invent a story about his dad being a murderer to cover the shame <laughs> of his dad's baldness. Right? The kids are making fun of his dad for being bald. And in his mind, the most logical way to explain that is to say he has to intentionally shave his head. He doesn't suffer from male pattern baldness. He has to shave his head because he's uh, he's in disguise. He's on the lam because he's wanted for murder. Right. He murdered a kid at our old school. So, yeah. Well, okay. So, JR's whole thing is that he's super into horror movies. He's always, like, putting on, you know, like, a Wolfman thing and scaring the sisters. You'll notice that in the entire, like, this whole episode, he's wearing a Freddy Krueger t-shirt. He wears Nightmare on Elm Street stuff all the time. Like, the show is constantly referencing Nightmare on Elm Street, which is hilarious because, like, so many of the of the teenage girls ended up being in the movies. And so he's super into horror movies. That's his thing. And yeah, that's like when he starts trying to spitball and come up with a reason because they were making fun of him as well. They were like, well, you're just going to be like a stool pigeon. You know, you're going to be a narc and tell your dad who's a teacher everything we do. So we can't be friends with you either. And he's like, no, hold on. My dad's super cool. Let me explain. And tells this story about how he killed a kid 
while like a teacher at their old school and so the whole family had to go into hiding and the dad had to shave his head teacher at another school right so yeah this is so sitcom-y all of this stuff the fact that a the kids right his his friends or you know his his classmates these new kids that he just met (laughs) right they believe him they're terrified of this but instead of just steering clear of him they still become his friends and follow him around like in this state of constant terror yeah because he keeps like he keeps being like well you're gonna come and sit with me at lunch right right and they're like oh yeah, yeah yeah sure 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 b the adults of the school start to believe this and so on this first day Coach Lubbock, he's going around sort of blissfully unaware that, you know, this rumor is spreading throughout the school that he is a murderer. And so the, I guess, principal, the sort of headmaster of the school, you know, he's he's a priest, shows up at their house. At least there is like a shred of respect for human intelligence that the priest comes to the house in the spirit of, People are saying this about you and it can't possibly be true. No, but we get that sitcom thing yes. where like it's minimum the minimum communication. communication. Yeah. It's nobody ever says, wait a minute, are we talking about the same thing? Right. It's always, nope, nope, don't finish that sentence. I know what you're going to say. So let me just respond to the thing I think you're going to say before you actually <laughs> say it. So yeah, the priest shows up at the house and is saying, oh, you know, there's there people are saying something about you, but I'm sure it's not true. And so, of course, the dad is like, oh, no, it's true. Everything they say is true. Yep, no, no need to clarify. No need to specify. Believe everything you've heard about me. It's all true. Right. And so... So prior to this, the his wife answers the door and, and Coach Lubbock has come home and just had this amazing first day. He's so happy. The girls have all come home. They're miserable because the day started out great. They were getting lots of attention. And as the day went on, the boys started like running in the other direction when they came around. And so they're all blaming that youngest teenage sister the girl um named connie they're they're blaming her because they you know she's the grody one and that's why the boys don't want to come around right and she's like what are you talking about like that whatever you know and so they're having their like fights about their own thing and then the you know jr comes home and he's got these two friends in tow and they go right upstairs and then the dad comes home and the mom's like oh no he's gonna say it was a bad day as well and he's like it was a great day it's started out a little bit sketchy kids didn't really want to listen to me but by the end of the day I could say jump and they would start to jump they were calling me sir this is the best school I've ever worked in he was so happy he said and even the teachers they were genuflecting to me in the teachers lounge everyone was just like what do you need how can I help you everyone was being so great so he had this wonderful day and then At some point, someone, some teacher had said to him, again, off camera, that, you know, they were going to tell the headmaster about, you know, his reputation. And he was like, oh, please do. That's so great. And so that's how the headmaster finds out. The headmaster comes over, this priest, and and the wife answers the door, having heard this from her husband. And she's like, well, I bet I know why you're here with a big smile on her face. And the priest is like, oh, you do? And she was like, absolutely, you know. Oh, everything you've heard about him is true. He's a great guy. 
die, you know? And he's like, oh my God, oh my God. Which ends with the headmaster just being like, okay, I gotta go. Oh my gosh, I gotta get out of here, right? As the kids come running down from upstairs, screaming bloody murder, because the sisters realize what has happened, that there's been this rumor started by JR, and they're trying to beat down his door, and then the two boys run downstairs screaming, and the the headmaster sees this and is like, oh, it's really happening. It was farcical by the end. Yeah, the whole thing is predicated on this farcical idea that everything is turning up roses for Coach Lubbock because unbeknownst to him, everybody thinks he's a murderer. And they're and scared so, of him. Yeah, and so it sort of ends with that coming to light and it's one of those like, wait a minute, everybody thinks I'm a murderer, so that's why they're going to do everything I say? Oh, everyone thinks I'm a murderer and they're going to do everything I say. He has that moment of like, oh, wait a minute. But then he says to JR, look, this was a really bad first impression. It wasn't just your first day of school and some story you made up so that you could fit in. You impacted all of your sisters and my first day on the job. That's not good. And so they had this like heart to heart, father, son kind of a moment, which that's what this show is really known for, right? Is that you have all of the silliness and all of the like ridiculous teenage girl stereotyped drama, like you're saying, you know, they didn't have enough stereotypes to go around. That's exactly how they played it. And it doesn't necessarily age well, but there was always this sort of like, heart at the end of the episode where you know the dad would get to have this one-on-one conversation with one of his many children and it was a, a heartwarming moment and that's what we get in this episode he and jr realize that hey you know i guess first days are hard for all of us we gotta fix this thanks for trying to defend me because jr explains like the only reason i said it in the first place is because they were making fun of you so you know and he's like that's really sweet you know i i love you for that but let's find a better way to defend me maybe with the truth yeah which in that case the, the truth is really just like yeah he's bald get over it like there's really not much else to say about that but uh yeah you know we got all the usual tropes in this the sitting around the breakfast table and everything and all the anxieties but it's all just a little truncated because not only are there so many of them but like we said it's it's about the dad starting a new job as the same time as it is about the kids starting a new school. And so there's just so much going on that it's sort of like the tropes have to kind of get in line and wait their turn. Yeah, know? yeah. And we'll get a lot more later on in the the seasons with the four teenage girls. This show very much ends up feeling like facts of life mm -hmm. later on because it really is about the four teenage girls more than anything else. Sure. All right, moving on to Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World, season two, episode one, back to school. Yeah, so we're kind of in the same boat as we were with Brady Bunch. We've covered this show once before, but it was one of the later, weirder ones. It involved a time-traveling microwave that sent you back to the 50s. Now we've got a couple of young, fresh-faced season two Corey and Sean's panga. So this one we started, you know, kind of marveling at boy, do they look young to be starting 
high school, you know, well, I guess these are, these, this isn't any 90210 casting 35 year olds, this, they're really going, they're going for the young kids. Well, it turns out in the world of Boy Meets World, high school starts in seventh grade. Right. And so they, this was a construct in the writer's room to get the whole cast into one school. So they could have more interactions with older brother Will and they could, or whatever his name is in the show, and they could have all, they could also start aging up the show because it was like a little kid show and they were trying to like make them a little older. So that also means they give themselves the dilemma of what to do with the teacher character that we know and love. Uh, yeah. Just have him be the new principal and history teacher. You know, I, I feel like what happens with him in this episode is a little notorious, right? In terms of like sitcom tropes and cliches. The thing of like, it makes no sense for the character to still be in the show, but we want them to be. So Will Smith and his cousin Carlton go to the same college, even though they have completely different paths in life you right. know, or any number of things like that where it's just like no bring them along figure it out that's right we're gonna uh, hold back very our very ambitious characters over and over again in these high school shows so that they can hang around just a little bit longer after high school well and in this case it's not holding anyone back Mif mr feeney is going from middle school teacher to interim principal and also he's going to be teaching a class yeah it's weird that they they don't need the interim principal thing if they're having him be their history teacher because i have to admit you know as much as i'm making fun of it this happens like this happened in my experience i had teachers in high school who i had met in middle school as middle school teachers so that part is kind of credible and then they have to throw in, oh, but also he's the acting principal just so that like we can have more scenes of him getting mad at them. Yeah, so we could have that great reveal of him in the chair facing backwards and then Corey hears the voice and he's like, Feeny! Yeah. And then he turns he's around. He's like the Blofeld of Boy Meets World right. or the Dr. Claw. But so backing up to the start of the episode, again, breakfast table, anxiety, what if I don't fit in? What if I'm not popular? We have, this is all very explicit, right? I don't think we have anybody pretending to be sick this time. We just have Corey scheming and sort of plotting his path to high social status. Right. He's got a plan. He's going to walk up to the biggest, baddest, meanest bully in school. And he's going to say, I'll be your lackey. Yeah. What do you need? So that way he won't get pounded. He wants to be like Jerry from Parker Lewis. He just <laughs> wants to like have a little trench coat and just like walk around and do your bidding, I guess. Uh, Ryder Strong shows up, the friend. And he also, like Marsha Brady, he wants to seem mature and sophisticated. But his way of doing that, fake sideburns. Oh, Elvis-like fake sideburns. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. That, that That's his plan. It's great. I will say, okay, so two things about this breakfast table scene. Number one, 
I forgot how much Lily, the little sister, is hilarious. Like, she just has these snarky comments that she says as she, like, breezes through the room. And she's, like, five years old. She's adorable. I don't know whatever happened to her. But, man, she's really funny in this. Second thing. OMG, the continuity errors. It was driving me crazy. I could barely pay attention to what they were talking about because the mom is standing at first at the counter and she's pouring three glasses of orange juice. There are already four people in the room trying to have breakfast, but she's pouring three glasses of orange juice, which she then carries over to the table and hands to none of the people at the table, but sets them in a line on top of a newspaper where they remain for the rest of the scene. That's the orange juice. Now there's a bowl of oatmeal grits, cereal, something gloppy. I think it might be like cheesy grits or oatmeal-y something. Anyway, the dad has said bowl of hot something. He's stirring it. He's stirring it. It almost looks like a giant cup of coffee, but it's not. It's a bowl of something. He's stirring it. He's stirring it. He almost takes a bite puts the spoon back down, is stirring it while he's talking. The brother comes from upstairs, swoops down into the kitchen, picks up the bowl from in front of the dad, which is now no longer in front of the dad, but has moved off just slightly to the side of him and proceeds to eat said bowl of cereal that that, that dad has been fake eating this whole scene for the rest of the scene. The dad was eating that bowl of hot food first. It was, it was, what? The whole thing was ridiculous. They didn't know whose breakfast was whose and three random glasses of orange juice went undrunk. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't notice any of that. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? So they go to high school. They have a run-in with this kid. Uh, he's in a, He's in his underwear because the seniors took his clothes. But I just love, again... The phrasing, he goes, seniors took my clothes just because I'm a new guy, right? The way he says new guy instead of freshman. Well, because uh, he's not a freshman. He's a seventh grader. <laughs> okay, so then seventh grader, just something about new guy. I, I thought that was hilarious. But we we start having, we, we have a run-in with bullies, right? Right we away, yeah. Big giant guy. Baby Ethan Supley, who's the big giant guy, but he's still very young. So this was where I started noticing something that would continue throughout the show. Is Boy Meets World a prequel to The Sopranos? Why are <laughs> all of these characters talking with these thick Italian-American accents? Like, you know, and then I started going... Yeah, maybe maybe at the end of this series, Corey Matthews is going to become Christopher Moltisante. Same initials. Maybe it's all connected. Like <laughs> these these bullies, you know, you had this issue with, you know, in Laverne and Shirley in Happy Days. How come it's set in Milwaukee, but they all talk like they're from Brooklyn or something? You know, at these at the school, these bullies in this Wherever they're supposed to be, they're going like, Hey, you guys, you don't walk around this hallway uh, with that I say so. You know what I mean? Forget about it. <laughs> oh, oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> well, they don't quite say motherfucker because it's ABC family. 
<laughs> but he does call him a poof. He's like, that's a poofy name. I'm going to call you by, uh, what does he call He's like, uh, Johnny Baboon or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> something Baboon. like that. These, these kids are just randomly so Italian. And then, well, okay, let, let's hold that thought. Because this, this brings us to another weird trope that I feel like doesn't exist in real life. Ryder Strong hides in a locker, right? Yes. Is this one of these things, is, is this possible in real life? Did you have lockers in your school that a human being, even an eighth grader, could could fit into? Well, and I mean, look, they make a joke at the end of the episode because... At the end of the episode, Ryder Strong is in the same locker that he hid in with a girl. So there's like yeah. two people can fit in those right. lockers. At that point. And Corey Matthews is like, uh, man, the lockers are big in high school. Well, this was the thing. Remember, you can't do that on television. They would have yes. the scenes where they would pop out of the lockers. Right. Welcome freshmen on Nickelodeon had a thing about lockers. There's, Saved by the Bell. Yes, they were like hiding in locker, locker scenes. Yeah. I, I have this sort of vague memory that there were some like long long, tall lockers in gym, but... We I, had those. That's what I'm saying. In my high school... You did. Oh, you did. We had this you, style of you locker. You couldn't fit in them, even being, no. like, skinny? No, because just a human foot, you know, like a human... The, the depth of a human head. Like, you could maybe fit in them, like... You could be fit in them the way, like, a contortionist can fit into something, but... I think 99 out of 100 people would be traumatized by that experience if it were possible. Like, <laughs> yeah. you would have to be shoved into this thing. You know, I, I don't think it, it would have the depth to fit a person's shoulders. Like, it's it's the same thing as in these TV shows, but just, like, two-thirds the size or less. And so I always thought that was a funny contrivance when you see these, you know, more or less fully grown people sort of effortlessly hopping in and out of lockers. Sure. And I wonder, because this this idea of like bullies stuffing kids in lockers has to come from somewhere. So I wonder if that did happen, you know like a long time ago and then one of the reasons we got the like cut the lockers in half kind of thing is so that that couldn't happen anymore yeah so after we deal with the bullies we meet a new teacher in town who's a little different than uh your typical stuffed shirt guy <laughs> he's got long hair and he likes to read the x-men comics he carries a motorcycle helmet so he rides a motorcycle to school yeah. He gets mistaken for the biggest, baddest bully in town by yeah. Corey. This is all very silly. It's it's a new young teacher that Corey thinks is a student, which makes no sense. Like, he's not that young. No, but the um, the joke about this bully is that he's been held back six times or something. He's the oldest guy in school. This is like his third senior year. People say he's only hanging around because he likes to thump seventh graders. Like, that's his whole deal. Yeah. So the teacher, Mr. Turner, who's going to go on to be a big character in the show and everything, 
again, if this guy is really this Italian, then by all means, I mean no offense, <laughs> but it's just so strange. It's like he is trying out for the young Polly Walnuts role well, or something. And that's so funny because I didn't cock it as really Italian. I sort of, to me, it's, you know that accent that Christian Bale does in Newsies and that... <laughs> Ryan Gosling did in like all his early movies old timey New York street sweeper yes like like New York street kid like that's what it sounds like they're doing they're like yeah that's what I sound like when I'm cool because cool guys sound like this they go hand in hand you know in the 90s Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were like the coolest badass characters and they're Italian American actors New Yorkers who were yeah often playing you know big city cops criminals whatever usually in New York and so yeah it's all kind of tied together and I guess in this time this was just part of what it meant to be like cool and hip was to go around talking like this say yo <laughs> the bullies definitely were that like caricature Mr. I get Turner that vibe is not... from Mr. Turner no he too. has it for sure I also while we're dunking on Mr. Turner his whole like groovy young teacher thing is at least from a 2023 point of view undermined by the pleated pants I think uh, <laughs> to say nothing of the mullet the yeah. mullet and the very pleated pants yeah those are very uncool but would just you know anybody who would tell anybody who was looking carefully that he is probably not the bully and is more likely a teacher the thing that I'm incredulous about which has nothing to do with Mr. Turner's accent is that it's you know, he, Corey gets caught with an X-Men comic in class. He's like, oh, man, I loved X-Men when I was young. You know, you don't think you can hide that from me. That's great. So everybody has to read the Odyssey and this X-Men comic tonight. Yeah. So, hey, kids, go out, find a comic book store, and everybody get this comic tonight. Yeah. Because to be not fair, only do you have to read the entire Odyssey, seventh graders, not in a seventh grade curriculum, you also have to go buy this comic book. Do you understand the parent shitstorm that would come via email within 30 minutes of your kids getting home if you were a seventh grade teacher and did this? This is another trope of lazy writing where it's just like, ah, oh, my teacher says I have to read War and Peace. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's the kind of thing you write in 10 seconds and don't stop to think like, wait, the Odyssey, didn't I read that in 10th grade? And wouldn't that be something that you would assign over like a month? But yeah, he tells them, read the Odyssey and this particular X-Men comic. Right. And then he gets in trouble later. He's in the teacher's lounge, Mr. Turner, and Mr. Feeney comes in and he's like all up in his face. Like, what's this that I hear about you assigning an X-Men comic? It's like, come on, like... Is this guy really that much of a square that he can't... Like, the idea of a teacher trying to draw a connection between classic literature and, like, a comic or something, I feel like that was edgy in, like, 1805. <laughs> you know, like, the idea that that would be too subversive for Mr. Feeney 
And he assigned them the Odyssey also. So it's not like he said, read this comic instead of the Odyssey. Like, I don't, I don't get what Feeney's problem is here. Well, there's always a cranky old teacher that has some complaint about something. And I think the same sort of arguments are being had in schools around the world today about AI, right? There are a lot of, like, not necessarily young, new, hip teachers that are into it, but there are people in the profession who are like, okay, how can AI, become a part of our learning institution and we can use it to move towards deeper understanding of dot 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 and then you have other people who are like yeah I'm not interested and I think it's going to be to the detriment of society and there's no reason to try to even think about how to incorporate this in a positive way into our curriculum. But it's kind of disappointing because Feeney is supposed to be you know a tough cookie and an old school guy, but at the end of the day, he should be wise and have his heart in the right place. I think it's uncharacteristically yeah. dumb for him to be like, you know, waggle waggle of my finger. How dare you assign a X-Men comic? Well, I think we are still in the, like squarely in the Feeney as the sort of antagonist sure. to the kids. Uh, whereas as the series goes on, he becomes this, like, beloved guy who was always looking out for them in the best ways in the first place. Yeah, but what we get after this is what we missed out on in the beginning, uh, fake sickness, right? This time, right. instead of being sick at home, we get fake sickness in the nurse's office, and it's not because they're nervous about not fitting in at school. It's because they've run afoul of the Italian-American bullies that are going to, you know, beat them up. I guess after class. Right, because he finally does, like after he has his run this run in with the two like sub bullies, he finally does meet the like big bad bully and tries to do his plan and it doesn't go to plan and they get caught out of class by this hall monitor guy who drags them to the principal's office and that's when it's the reveal that Feeney is the interim principal and Corey gets off with a warning and the other kid like the bully kid gets detention and so he says you know after they get out of the principal's office he finds Corey in the hallway and he's like so see you in the bathroom at 315 because I'm gonna kill you yeah. And it just like it, it there was no other threat. There was no like, oh, let me word it this way, let me word it that way, like I'm going to beat you up. He literally says multiple times, "I am going to kill you. You are going to die." And it was so jarring to me because that kind of stuff is like it's like zero tolerance policy now. Like you can't at a school say I'm going to kill you or I'm going to kill myself without like counselors being called emergency, all yeah. of this stuff. So it was very like triggering to me. I'm like, he can't say that. He can say anything but that you can't say kill. Yeah. It's a little bit like when you see the stuff that they do at airports in movies before nine 11, you know, the yeah. sort of pre Columbine <laughs> talk of death. Before we school. had, before we had the like bully <laughs> worry. Bully yeah. Culture. So it, it ends with this sort of standoff in the hallway and the older brother saves the day. Well, sort of. So the older brother has had this thing of like, don't talk to me, pretend like you don't know me, I don't want to see you. And so 
I think both Sean and Corey try to tell the older brother at some point during the day that this bad thing is going to happen after school. And he just is kind of like, whatever, whatever. But then he shows up. You cackled at this heroic entrance from the brother. He, like, on a pommel horse, vaults over the half wall of at the top of the staircase, like, you know, where the two flights of stairs comes down halfway and then turns and comes down the other way. He, like, vaults over the half wall at the, like, in between the two flights of the staircase and steps in between the two, you know, steps in between Corey and the bully and is like, who do you think you're talking to? This person I don't know because he's still trying to pretend like he doesn't know his brother. Well, first of all, I had still have like a huge crush on the older brother. It made me so sad that as the years went on, they made him like the stupid himbo character because he at the in the first couple seasons, he was funny. He reminded me a lot. I think I've said this before of Spencer in the iCarly series. He was really great. And then by the time they get to college, it's like he's too dumb to survive like he would walk into walls and not know how to tie shoes yeah they turned him into another jim carrey floppy silly guy yeah he was just not smart and so it was a bummer because the guy is like i think he's funny and i think he's a good comedian but yeah this like vault over the wall and then he like stands there and it it looks like it's a little bit of a standoff right because he's still a high school kid and this bully kid is still older than him and then Corey had sort of intimated to Mr. Turner earlier on that this would be his last day and that he didn't think he'd be able to you know do the assignment because it was you know nice knowing you and whatever and so Mr. Turner is just sort of like leaning against the wall kind of there and the camera sort of pans over or zooms out a little and we see him so it's like a double save you get the big brother turns out he really does care and oh by the way now the teacher is gonna they're gonna try to out brooklyn each other yeah it is very much like what if a you know 34 year old robert de niro was your history teacher or something because he's like hey it kind of seems like you're you're gonna you know mess with my student uh, i can't allow that you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know like uh, it's my first day on the job and if my students go missing they're gonna wonder about me yeah yeah uh, so yeah, it's basically like Travis Bickle, uh, you know, menacing this. Who is uh, that? It's De Niro in Taxi Driver. It's the, <laughs> you talking to me? You talking I to me? His name. <laughs> yeah. So he saves the day, and this one had a little bit less of the be yourself stuff we got a little bit of that but at the end of the day it was kind of overwhelmed by all of the like how to survive the bullies and all that and you know i think it's one of these this was a season premiere right season two premiere so it's very much sort of setting the stage for like this is what we got right we got our Corey and sean and they're going to be dealing with these bullies and this wacky teacher and this crotchety old other teacher and you know, get there ready. you go. There you go. There's, um, you know, we've mentioned the pod meets world podcast that they do. That's like the Ryder strong and Will Friedel who plays the older brother and, um, the girl who plays Topanga. 
Danielle Fischel, they have a podcast where they're doing like a rewatch. They've already watched this episode. So, you know, highly recommend go take a listen. There's uh, Topanga's not in this episode very much. She just has one little scene. But of course, it's like a, a middle school girl body shaming scene from Jump. And that's all she really is in this episode. So, yeah. Go take a listen because they talk about all the different things and a lot of the pieces we've sort of mentioned. They talk about a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even really take note of Topanga in this one. Yeah. All right. Moving on to The Goldbergs. The Goldbergs, season four, episode one, Breakfast Club. So this is a new one for us, uh, both on the pod and in life, right? Neither of us have seen the Goldbergs. I've known of this as a really popular and highly regarded show. I've heard of this. I've heard a lot of good word of mouth about the Goldbergs. Similarly, that my that is my experience with it as well. I, yeah, man, I'm just like, oh, happy to find another show that I love. I think... So far, we've got, what is it, Blackish that I'm like definitely going to go back and watch that because I didn't watch it when it was on. And Gold- The Goldbergs, I think, is still on, right? So there's a few shows during the recording of all of our podcasts that I've been like, oh, I'm really glad to have a new show. Yeah. So right off the bat, we get a pleasant surprise uh, narrated by Patton Oswalt, right? I didn't yep. know that. Didn't but know that either. That's a fun little touch. So Patton Oswalt is the grown-up version of the little kid that's obsessed with the breakfast club right so he is like the daniel stern from wonder years to kevin arnold where in this case kevin arnold is adam goldberg right now you mentioned blackish wasn't there a young kid in that that was obsessed with like an 80s movie am i making that up or wasn't the kid in blackish like trying to recreate the plot of a certain 80s movie. Yes, it's um, it's uh, rom-coms by Nancy Myers. Oh, yes. He was obsessed with Nancy Myers. Yes. Right? So the idea of the show is that it's a retelling of the showrunner, the show creator's life as a child in the 80s. He's the youngest of three, and they're a wacky family, and their grandpa lives with them, and their mom's like a mama bear, and the dad's just sort of like, I work all week, you guys handle the home stuff, I don't care and so there's a lot of stuff with the school the the principal in the show is like a character actor yeah, that you the principal know and love is steven topolowski yes, yes everyone knows and loves that guy and tim meadows is a teacher at the school so you have lots of different fun characters that this is season four so all of these teachers and principals and everything have been introduced over the time and the setup for this episode is that The mom has gone back to school over the summer and gotten a certificate so she can substitute teach at the high school. And that is bad news for the kids for obvious sort of kid reasons. But then we also find out that she is this crazy mom that's always at the school yelling at the teachers and the principal so they don't want her there either. And that's a little bit of like the backstory kind of beginning of this episode that you need to know and then we've got the layer of the younger son the youngest one Adam Goldberg 
and it's his first day of high school. So that's this breakfast um, table scene. Yeah. And so we get, I guess, a little bit of overlap with just the 10 of us in the sense that we get the adult perspective as well. This is sort of the opposite. Instead of this person being drafted into the school as this amazing gym teacher that they had to fly across the country, in this case, it's this woman that nobody wants anything to do with, but she's trying to sort of force herself into this position as a substitute teacher. Stephen Tobolowski, the principal, can't stand her and is just like, this This must not pass. But meanwhile, we have the kid. So Adam shows up dressed head to toe as John Bender from The Breakfast Club. And so it's an interesting wrinkle on this thing of reinventing yourself, right? He's doing the same thing that all these other characters are doing, but he's... I guess what we come to understand later in the episode is he's doing what we, the audience, know. He, he's choosing the wrong character to represent himself, right? He's, <laughs> he's choosing the bad boy and sort of declaring himself to be that when everybody else recognizes that he is the Anthony Michael Hall character who is the only character that doesn't end up getting sort of replicated by another character throughout the course of the show. Because he is him and it's just funny. So he's like, okay, you know, Adam's like, all right, this is me. And there's this running joke throughout the episode that he's a sweaty jacket kid because yeah. he, he's like, wait, why do you have on so many coats? You got on denim, on t like tweed on top of denim and a overcoat over all that. Like what? Why? Why do you have on so many coats? Yeah, his friends go denim on flannel and tweed. Looks swampy. Uh, <laughs> his friends are doing the same exact thing. This was very funny to me. There's a running joke of like, at the same time he's doing this, his two friends have their own little quests going on. And so when he shows up, one of them is dressed as, what, Indiana Jones... I don't I don't remember the specifics, but they're they're both they're both movie characters. Right. And then later in the episode, we're going to get like one of them. Well, so they're not they're not both movie characters. One is Prince. So he's wearing like a purple like kind of head to toe thing, sort of like Paul Rubens wore in that yeah. 70s throwback thing. He's wearing like all purple, this like high collar sort of coat thing. And then this guy comes by who the guy is just wearing a Rush t-shirt in every scene. He's got on a Rush t-shirt and he's like, hey, it's the jacket crew. Look at the weird jacket crew because they're all wearing jackets yeah oh that was hilarious yeah they're, they're horrified to discover that all of their individual machinations for what their new images are going to be have completely gone out the window and now they're known as the jacket crew and so they go we can't we can't be like this we have to split up and they run in separate directions and one of them yells enjoy the holidays and so they run and it's this great crane shot or drone shot or something from like way above of them scattering just like <laughs> yeah 
So meanwhile, uh, we've got the overlapping trope of mom getting a job at the school, right? Right. Uh, She's a substitute. By the way, she has not been hired at the school. She's just on their list. And so she shows up and she's like, all right, I'm here. Whose class are you putting me in? And the principal is like, well, it's the first day of school. All my teachers are here and healthy and accounted for. So we don't need you. You can go. Yeah. And so she doesn't go home. She goes to the teacher's lounge, but they tell her, you can't be in the teacher's lounge. You have to eat with the students in the cafeteria. So it sort of contrives this situation for, you know, all of the different kids who are having their various misadventures at the school to all end up sort of stranded in the cafeteria along with the mom with uh, nowhere to sit except with each other. Right. So the daughter, who's a senior, she's the oldest of the three kids. Her whole meltdown has um, been because there was this boy that in previous seasons was like her friend and kind of obsessed with her and really liked her. And she just kept being like, no, 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 not you. I'm not interested in you. Friend zone, friend zone, whatever. And so now he's got a new girlfriend. And so she's taking it hard. She's like, I had my one shot at love and I lost it, even though she wasn't really interested in the guy. But so she's just taking it hard. And so she's having a little bit of a, of a meltdown. But at the cool table, these two, this couple that she keeps trying to avoid, they're sitting at the cool table now. So she can't sit at the cool table. So she doesn't know where to eat. The main character, Adam, can't sit with his friends because they won't see each other till after the holidays now because they don't want to be the jacket crew. So he can't sit with his friends. And the brother, the middle brother, is so angry that his mom is even on campus that he has given his... But he is trying to be a jock. Like, he's not been a jock in previous seasons. He He's wearing a Letterman jacket that looks like Emilio Estevez's from The Breakfast Club. And he's trying to, like get on the wrestling team for varsity wrestling and varsity this and varsity that. And it turns out that the jocks at this school are nice. Like they're like, we're student leaders and student athletes. We don't knock books out of freshmen's hands. We help them find their classes. And the brother doesn't know how to handle that because he is like their dad. He's just, he yells about everything and is just cranky. Yeah. The same joke as in the new 21 Jump Street movies where it's like the jocks, the cool kids are actually sensitive and, you know, you uh, you you just stand out even more if you try to bully people or, or beat somebody up. So he's trying to like rein in his anger because he wants to be a wrestler, a varsity athlete. He wants to like get in with the jocks. So he's trying to rein in his anger. So he writes all of his angry words to his mom on note cards and gives them to his sister's friend and says, you need to tell my mom this because I'm not allowed to get mad. And and so she is over there and we've got the mom who's sitting in the cafeteria at a table all by herself waving and screaming and hollering at her kids the um you know that are in the lunch line and so you've got the daughter adam and the daughter's friend who's reading the brother's angry messages to his mom off note cards all standing around the mom telling her why she needs to leave and that this isn't okay and yelling at her and the principal comes in 
and is like, what the heck is going on? Like, you guys can't be doing this. And the mom's like, I'm a teacher here. You can't let these kids talk to me that way. And he's like, loving it. He's like, yes, I can. And then the mom's like, you know, who the fuck do you think you are or whatever? And like drops an F-bomb in the cafeteria as a teacher, you know, quote unquote. And so everyone's like, record scratch, staring at her. And then the principal's even happier because he's like, now you're fired. And he was like, even though you were never hired, now you really have to leave. And the kids are like, you know, even before that, the kids were like, yeah, you can't make us listen to her, something, something, and like kind of yelled at the principal. And so he's like, not only is your mom fired from a job she never had, but you guys all have Saturday school and that's, or Saturday detention or whatever. And that's how we get this breakfast club. Yes, this is music to the ears of young Adam that just wants his life to resemble the breakfast club. And so now it does. Now he has Saturday detention, which I've never heard of in any context except the movie The Breakfast Club. I had Saturday detention. Oh, really? Yeah. I wrote my name in wet, though, like wet cement outside of the drama room. And uh, of course, when you write your name in wet cement, they know who you are. So <laughs> I got in trouble in high school. I had Saturday. Well, yeah, it was called Saturday school, but it was detention. Yeah. So Tobolowski is, you know, reading them the riot act, just like the principal in the Breakfast Club and Adam is trying to, you know, recreate those those scenes. And so he's he's giving him the same kiss off line as Judd Nelson. He goes, you know, he says the thing about does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe every night? And Tobolowski goes, well, thank you. Uh, I happen to be quite the fan you know, So he takes <laughs> yeah. that as a compliment. It was good. So we get the kids. Um, the the sister's friend is like, hey, it's not fair. I shouldn't have Saturday detention. I was just reading the brother's words because he's trying not. And, and so the principal's like, great, he can join you. You all have to be there. So that's how we get the setup of having all of the Breakfast Club characters, but two of them living within Adam. Yeah. Um, so you've got... The sister who has been slowly, you know, being described as a basket case as the episode has gone on, who's now fully in black, has very like 2000s kind of emo, you know, 2020s emo hair, even though she's supposed to be in the 80s. And then you have her friend, her best friend, who is like the cool girl, Molly Ringwald kind of character. You've got the brother trying to be trying to be the jock and he's wearing the blue and yellow letterman jacket like emilio estevez had and you have the dude in the rush t-shirt who has this like weird sort of mullety ponytail hair hairdo and then you have adam goldberg who is dressed like judd nelson but is looks like Anthony Michael Hall. Right. So the the Rush t-shirt guy who is, you know, he lays claim to the actual badass slot, but then he he just leaves, right? Right. He leaves because, well, the mom is home. She has just sort of given up on having a job and is very clearly like manically cleaning and cooking and doing all this stuff. So her husband, and I think it's her dad, right? The grandpa that lives with them. So they notice that she's upset because she's like 
you know, cooking eight course meals on a Saturday afternoon for no good reason or Saturday morning or whatever. And so her husband's like, look, you need to go back and try to get your job back. And she's like, no, it's not going to happen. They don't want me. I don't want like the kids don't want me. The teachers don't want me. The principal doesn't want me. Nobody wants me there. So it's fine. And so he does what he never does the dad which is get involved and so he goes down to the school and has a talk with the principal and is like look here's what you need to know if you hire her all that like mama bear bulldog stuff she's been throwing in your face all these years now you own that you sign her paycheck you're gonna get like paul rubens to murphy brown you're gonna get you know, that attack dog on your side. Exactly. She'll know, you'll no longer be her adversary. You'll be her boss. So you can point that attack dog in any direction you want. And his eyes light up and he's like, that's a great idea. Stephen Tobolowsky is, he really sells this very silly turn. You know, he really just sells that completely buying into this idea and sort of delighting in that, you know, that change. Right. So... So he is like, all right, call your wife, tell her she can have her job back. Her first assignment, managing Saturday school. I can finally have my Saturdays back. And so he leaves and the husband calls the mom and the mom's like, uh, no, I was serious. I'm a mom. I'm not doing this. Like, I don't want that. And he's like, but you were upset. I tried. And she's like, I'm fine and hangs up the phone. So now the dad is stuck in charge of Saturday detention and he goes in to talk to the kids and that's when the guy in the Rush t-shirt is like, he's got no authority over me. I don't have to stay here. Peace out and leaves. Yeah. It Showing us that he is truly the badass. And then we, so the dad has now assigned them this like essay and Adam's like, yeah, that's what they were assigning the breakfast club. Let's do it, you know? And so they have their whole breakfast club montage moment, you know, of the, the, yeah, they do the dancing and everything. The dancing, the yeah. brothers crawling through the ductwork and crashes down through the ceiling. Yeah, and so instead of uh, the essay about themselves that they were assigned in the breakfast club, they get assigned by their dad to write an essay about their mom and, you know, what they love about their mom or, you know, it's something nice about that. But so, Yeah, explaining why they do feel like they need her and why right. she's, you know, good in their lives. So that lets us end the episode with the same mise-en-scene as the Breakfast Club movie, you know, with the... With the voiceover saying the letter, saying, you know, we thought we were the basket case, the jock, etc. And of course, we have uh, young Adam coming to the conclusion that we, the audience, knew all along that he's probably more of the nerd and that's okay. He can be who he can be himself. And yeah, you know, it's same as it ever was, right? Oh, well, we, I was saying, you got to do the la- like the little two sort of yeah. after credit well, moments. We get, we get the great little return of Adam's friends. This time, Adam is trying to be Ducky from 
16 candles or pretty in pink oh shoot it's pretty in pink i think okay uh well in in any case uh he's trying to be ducky and his friends are indiana jones and a guy from devo and it's just so funny that like they haven't learned their lesson and they've both come back for another go around as these different, you know, pop culture characters. Well, and so then the same guy in the Rush t-shirt is like, oh, look, it's the hat crew. They're the nerdy hat crew. And then they all do the same thing again. Yeah, this one, you know, when I think about it, it's kind of like how we talk about community, uh, maybe 30 Rock to an extent, where it's like at this point, the tropes are well established. We still want to do them. We still want to do a sitcom and have the kids have a first day of school. But so now we're going to have fun with the tropes themselves. We're going to, you know, turn the subtext into text. We're going to make the references explicit. And so, yeah, you get fun stuff like the kid dressed as the character from the John Hughes movie. And the, this, this whole thing about I, I thought I was this character, but it's OK that I'm this character. It's the same thing that Marsha Brady was experiencing but now we just have to be a little more clever about it. Sure. And we also have that added element of the present day narrator. So you get to see the 1980s trope play out in its tropey fashion with all the winking and nodding that we know that we're doing and then have the narrator like the present day narrator talking over it making the jokes and uh, about it as well sort of like calling out the you know banality of it in the moment and so it's it, it makes it it's like two layers of meta in that way yeah so i don't know these were all fun they all were basically the same in terms of their general sort of thesis statement, but it's interesting how it gets diluted a little as it goes along. Like with the Brady Bunch, it's all about the anxiety of fitting in and that sort of crisis of identity and coming to realize, oh, just be yourself. And that never goes away, but, you know, you got to... You got to throw in some Italian bullies or you got to throw in some a thing about the mom getting a job there. You know, like as time goes on, you just you, you need to spice it up. But that core anxiety is something that that never goes away, because like we say about some of these tropes, it's grounded in reality, you know. Sure. And so it makes sense that that's going to be the sort of meat of your story most of the time. Sure. It's like if all of your fears about a first day and a new situation came true, like came to fruition, then what would you do if you found yourself in that situation? And I think the best tropes are the things that are either so wacky that they would never happen or so real that you can then make them absurd. And I think this is one of the ones that falls into the second category. Yeah, so I think this was a good batch. I feel like we did a good job, if I don't say so myself, of sort of spacing (laughs) these out time-wise so you really see that progression from like the 70s you know late 80s late 90s you know the more recent ones and so i for me like the brady bunch one is is very 
quintessential. I feel like that's one of those, you know, that's that's why we do the podcast to go back and see those very sort of like straight out of the sitcom textbook episodes. I don't have a lot of warmth in my heart for Boy Meets World. Uh, you know, we've been through that before. I was too old for it. I don't find those characters that endearing. So- I will say, though... I- because that last episode of Boy Meets World that we watched was from, you know, one of the later seasons and it wasn't that good and it was kind of, it was stupid and hokey with the going back in time and whatever. And I was feeling very much like this episode of Boy Meets World better be good because otherwise I'm just not going to want to watch it again. And I know it's a lot of people's favorites, but this was good. I thought this was funny. I thought they did a funny job with it. It wasn't it it wasn't annoying. Like there were silly things and yes, we like we made fun of the, you know, Brooklyn accents and whatever and absolutely, but it was funny and it was a good show and I definitely see it fitting into the whole like TGIF and it, had I been a little younger, but like I I liked this. I thought it was they did a good job with it, and I'm thankful that we didn't watch another bad episode of Boy Meets World. For me, uh, the MVP, hands down, is the Goldbergs. I mean, that was oh, just... Oh, yeah. Uh, it didn't have the problem that we have with the other newer shows sometimes where it's hard to drop into the serialized thing. It was totally self-contained, and, you know, even not knowing what the characters and the dynamics were very legible, easy to get into, and very funny. Just lots of laugh-out-loud moments in that. So uh, Yeah, that's no surprise to me why that show has lasted. Like, what I think they're on, like, season 10 or something now, or about to start season 11. Like, they're no surprise at all why that, why that show has lasted so long. So excited to add it to the repertoire and get to watch a little bit more of it. But, yeah, I... I think nostalgia factor on this this series of episodes for me was just the 10 of us. I forgot how much I liked that show that I mean like I said I watched every episode of that show when it aired uh because I was like that was my age of just being home every Friday night watching TGIF. So yeah, and I probably watched them multiple times in reruns. The show after it was canceled sadly after the 3rd season but really second season went on to have like a huge ratings boom in syndication so it was on like usa or something and i absolutely watched it there too so yeah really liked that show and it was it was a fun little walk down memory lane for me to kind of be like oh man it would be great if you could find it somewhere but as it is i think we had to scrounge for it on youtube right yeah the one we watched was pretty garbled so nostalgia factor for me hit hardest um not on brady bunch like you would think it absolutely hit hardest on just the 10 of us but yeah Goldberg's by far best episode of TV we watched for this episode all right so much for our first day of school what are we talking about next week next week get your hand out of my ass we're watching puppet shows we're gonna watch the pilot of Madam's Place Alf Dinosaurs and Unhappily Ever After Yep, we're finally taking on the puppet-based sitcoms next week, and until then, we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded.
Thank you for listening to the sitcom study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The sitcom study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. Thank you.